death toll rises. As the battles intensify and threaten a growing number of Republic worlds, planets are left to survive on their own, while the Jedi struggle to fight a war on many fronts. A series of medical stations have been established as a lifeline for those in need. But the facilities are easy prey for separatist attacks. After losing contact with the medical station orbiting Felucia, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, and Ahsoka Tano are sent to investigate. Welcome to Influenced by Kurosawa, where for our last entry in the Seven Samurai series, we're watching the animated Clone Wars episode from Season 2, Episode 17, called Bounty Hunters. I'm your host, and I'm quitting this podcast as this effort is no longer profitable. <laughs> My co-host is Guy, who always blames the ship. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's start out with what's your familiarity with this series? Actually, I hadn't seen an episode of it before, uh, before this one. I had looked into it with the thought that I might buy a season of it and try it out. But I hadn't gotten that far, so uh, <laughs> I went ahead. Actually, for this, I actually bought season two and watched it. So I'm you watch all now the okay. owner. No, no, I didn't. No. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. I, I watched this episode, uh, and I, I watched the first episode of the season too, and that was that was fun. So yeah, it's um, it's it it's entertaining. I think I'll enjoy it. I have started the series multiple times and gotten through three or four or five episodes, and just gotten distracted, you know, sometimes probably because I had to watch stuff for this podcast or whatever. But, uh, and so I've never gotten far into it. Um, but I always enjoyed the beginning part. Now, I mentioned, I think, in our uh, last time uh, talking about this, that, you know, through <laughs> practically our whole relationship, there's this mini debate about the prequel series. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, and, the prequel series is is terrible, and I and I'm not uh, the fact that you know George Lucas got really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Lucas did this terrible prequel series, and then they did the the whatever we want to call it the you know the the more recent trilogy with the other directors, and that was so badly handled as a whole. Now there are moments you can find in the individual movies and everything that are that are good, and you know the acting is overall better than it was in the prequels and and everything. But the overall trilogy was so badly handled that people started saying, "No, actually, the prequel was pretty good." You know, and also people who were kids when the prequels came out like them, and I, I don't blame them for that. They're not responsible for you know the. Nostalgia of, of seeing these before they could really process them. I'll try to reserve my opinion to some degree, but I think a, an interesting outcome of all that was this animated series because it's sort of filling in holes before the prequels or between the prequels and the new ones or whatever. But anyway, it's, it's you know, this series exists because of the prequels. Mm -hmm. Also, I, I didn't plan it this way. I was just sort of choosing a you know a tv show for a tv episode for the final one to do something a little different but it's really turns out to be a pretty appropriate way to to end our seven samurai series because really there's a strong connection between star wars and kurosawa as we've mentioned and we're going to cover in the future star wars is a pretty direct translation of another kurosawa movie once 
George Lucas was successful. He and Coppola went and financed one of Kurosawa's final films because they, you know, respected him so much. And and in Lucas's case, had you know, had, had really uh, relied on his work for his own success. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a real connection. And then and then this episode, as we'll see, I think is a really surprise. Okay, first of all, this is a 22 minute episode, and that's not even how long it is because you have like a summary of where we are in the story and stuff. So really this is probably a 20 minute episode and it is, I'll just say right up front. I think it's amazing how much of the original seven samurai it manages to pack into 20 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They hit a lot of the, uh, most relevant points. Well, let's just jump into it. I mean, when you start out, I thought it was classy of them that the very first thing they do is an in memory of Akira Kurosawa title. So they, acknowledge what they're what they're doing with this episode and then we get you know the theme music which is the same theme music for one but i'm gonna say and i i'm just i I am i'm just a fanboy for this series so i think the theme music is really good it it incorporates john williams stuff but it's not just a direct takeoff on it it adds its own well flavor it's it's actually it pretty much is the standard star wars theme except there's two notes that are timed differently like Mm. Uh, you know, in Star Wars, you have da 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 da, and in this, it's dun da 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 da. So they kind of—I guess you'd call it syncopate uh, two of the notes. <laughs> but uh, I, for me, I didn't like it. I guess as oh. much as you did, because for me, it's like when you when you hear somebody sing the national anthem and they throw in their own notes, <laughs> it just rubbed me the wrong way. Okay, I, I will say. Even though, obviously, John Williams is very successful and very recognized, I think his contribution to both George Lucas and Steven Spielberg is still understated. I mean, I don't think Mm -hmm. either of those directors would have had the careers that they had if John Williams hadn't been part of their early films. I mean, oh boy, he's yeah, he he's had some real winners with not not only the various themes in the Star Wars movies, but like the Indiana Jones theme. Right, uh, I remember he did Jaws, then, uh, which was Spielberg's first you know yeah, breakout da, movie. Da, da, yeah, yeah, uh, so, and yeah. Uh, he didn't he do Jurassic Park too? Probably, I don't recall. Uh, I think yeah. he did. So no, yeah. I I think you know obviously, especially Spielberg, because I mean. Lucas did sort of one thing, and we can debate, you know, how much of that was him and how much was his collaborators and all the rest of that. Spielberg has done many, many different things in different genres, and he's done great films and all these different things. But still, if if Williams hadn't been supporting their films up front, I just think they wouldn't have been nearly as successful because his music was such a key part of those films in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, few – soundtracks are as much a part of things as they are for Star Wars or Jaws or, right. or oh, remember, and I, I think he probably did it too, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean, just remember oh, the music. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. So it, when you think of those films, you think of the music and that's just not, like I never really notice the music usually when I'm watching a film, mm-hmm. um, which is probably usually good, but. <laughs> uh. Uh, so, you know, we, so after our in memory of Akira Kurosawa and the theme music that you're not so happy with, uh, we get, so each episode of Clone Wars has a moral up front. So this time around, we're going to learn that courage makes heroes, but trust builds friendships. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. Have you seen Mystery Men? No, I never got around to that one. Uh, there's this superhero in it called the Sphinx who's always giving out this 
cryptic wisdom. Then finally, one of the other heroes just calls him out on it. Like, don't you see what he's doing? He's just <laughs> saying he takes the same thing and he, he switches it around. You're like, to go left, you first have to go right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a valid little statement they make here. I don't know if it's especially deep. <laughs> one thing they do and again again I'm sort of the fanboy I think they do it surprisingly well is at the beginning of each episode they give a summary of where we're at so that if you you can jump into any episode and you know mm. you, and, and I think they do a really good job and the animator has a really good voice well, and I, you know I, I, I got a kick out of that because the guy was doing it in this 1940s newsreel yeah. style <laughs> oh the republic at war <laughs> so yeah. I, I enjoyed that yeah, and you get so about thirty seconds, and they kind of catch you up in the story, so you can watch um, the episode. the uh, The other thing here is the animation style, and again, I I think they did an amazing job with this because I think at the time they did this, you technically couldn't do like a lot of texture and stuff on mm -hmm. the characters, and I think they did a really smart thing, which is they designed these characters in a very three D fashion. They're very three D characters, but their faces and such are kind of smooth, but they're designed that way. So it doesn't feel like it's a gap in the animation. Like today, you know, there's, if they did it, you would have uh, pock marks or, you know, other stuff on their skin. Right, right. Um, but at the time they couldn't do it. So they designed the characters to fit into that. And I, I think that's great. And one of the things I, I always respect about directors, and I think, you know, this is another thing that Luke has kind of screwed up with the prequels, is being able to take the technology you have and use it to help you tell a great story, which means you have to acknowledge what does and doesn't work about the technology and then figure out how to make it work, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, so Kubrick did this brilliantly with 2001, right? I mean, those special effects still, if you go back today, uh, those are still great special effects. Um, the space well, I haven't seen that since I was probably a teenager, so I'll take your word for <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to watch it again sometime. But if you remember, yeah. like, there's a sequence where the guy is, uh, there's this, you know, well, everything's round in the ship, and he's jogging, and the ship is rotating as he's jogging. Mm, and, yeah, you know, and um, uh, the space stuff where where the guy's outside and Hal's not letting him in again, it just looks great, and it still looks great today. And there, and and we're talking like 1968, most films special effects look terrible today, you know, when you go back and look at them. And, you know, one of the, yeah. and again, I'll, I'll, even though, and I can also, and maybe at some point here, I should talk about the positives of, of later George Lucas, but one of the other things that's a real problem with the prequels was he was trying to push things forward. He was trying to do a fully green screened movie, but mm. the technology wasn't there yet. So for example, they didn't have the resolution to separate out a person's hair from the green screen. So mm. you have blurriness, you know, in their hair and the what's behind. And you may not <laughs> directly see that, but as a certain, uh, you know, uh, commentator we both like says, but your brain did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it just, the technology wasn't there and he was using it, but it wasn't ready for that yet. And so the positive you can argue is that he, he pushed things forward. And in fact, now the things that they do, like for the Mandalorian and these modern TV series, what they have, what's called the volume, right? Which is this round room where they're able to project the background or not even project. They use LEDs mm. to create the background. And the other thing they do, and if you haven't seen this or if I haven't talked about it, I'll just point you to uh, some background materials. It's really interesting. 
So they actually use Unity, uh, the game engine, hmm. and because what if you're if you have the background as LED lights, you know that's showing whatever you know, it's the picture that you want for the background. Well, and this is the issue. <laughs> people have been dealing with for since film started for a hundred years and they try to do special effects in which uh, in a certain project we're dealing with, I've had to deal with, which is if you're trying to green screen the background, if you move the camera, well, you have, if you don't change the background, now you have this weird situation, right? Or if you zoom in and you haven't well, changed the, the background, the focal distance. Yeah. It's all weird. Yeah. So what they do in this thing, they call the volume is they use a game engine, and based on the where the camera is pointed, they move the background. Hmm. So the background is always reflecting where the camera is, which can be weird for people who are standing there because all of a sudden everything changes, and you don't, you know, your eyes aren't in alignment with where the camera is. Right. But they use this really successfully in the Mandalorian. You know, they were able to get these great desert backgrounds and other things that look really good, and they're really just standing in a room. Hmm. And they like put some dirt on the floor and stuff, you know, <laughs> to uh, yeah. help make it work. So Lucas was essentially doing that with the prequel series, but the technology wasn't there, and it really doesn't look good. And if you go back and look, and you know, especially in high high def, it's really not mm-hmm. good. <laughs> so, huh. so I I th- I respect uh, directors who figure out how to take the technology and make it work, uh, rather than you know, anyway. Nonetheless. Uh, okay. So our heroes, you know, that we're following here are Anakin Skywalker, who later turns into a different guy. <laughs> yeah. Ahsoka, who now I think is pretty well known because not only all the people who watch this series, but now they're doing an Ahsoka series and she was part of the I had, I had heard they, they've just started releasing episodes for that, uh, uh, yeah, and and her character Plus, was created for this series. She is uh, Anakin's Padawan and Ben Kenobi. Uh, so the three of them are, you know, doing stuff. And, and Anakin is Ben's Padawan. Yep. And they're investigating why a medical space station went offline. And as they approach the planet that it was orbiting, they're attacked and their ship is going down. So they eject. And this is where we get the line where... She's like, oh, you're always crashing. And he's like, oh, it's the ship's fault. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I thought this was humorous, but also it's surprisingly realistic and practical, which is when they eject, what happens is these balls appear around them, each of them. And they, when they hit the ground, the balls bounce and uh, until they stop. Yeah, they're basically big inflatable things. yeah. Yeah. And. I think they probably were inspired by the reality, which is when we, uh, a little while back, uh, sent the rover to Mars, that's what they did. Uh, they put it in hmm. a big ball, and it just when it hit the ground, it bounced uh, some number of times, but it was safe because the ball was keeping it, and then, and then it came outside of that. So this is actually a surprisingly realistic thing. <laughs> hmm. Very good. When they get to the ground, uh, again, I, I think the animation is great and, you know, the, even the backgrounds and the plants and everything. But also, uh, they get to the ground, yeah. the first thing they see are these huge rancors who are probably about 10 times bigger than the one we saw in the first time in, uh, what, Return of the Jedi. They're they're pretty hefty. Yeah. Uh, walking around. They never show up again. It's actually, I think, a little bit of a missed opportunity. It's a little weird that you see big rancor, you know, giant rancors, and then they never show up in the story again. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, 
you know, Kenobi and Anakin are arguing about which direction to go in. And, and you know, then Ahsoka sees smoke in the distance and says, let's go that way. <laughs> so, so figure that must mean there are people there. Yeah. Now, up to now, we haven't had a connection to Seven Samurai, right? The whole them coming to see a medical space station and crashing, you know, getting attacked and crashing. This is all unique to the story. But now we start seeing the seven samurai elements, which is as they're walking toward this village, they see that the locals are growing a healing herb, which is one of the most valuable crops in the galaxy. So we can quickly realize mm. that's probably going to be relevant to a seven samurai story. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then another connection, and this is one most of the films we've watched have not used, uh, which is the village is deserted. So the whole idea that when the heroes show up, the, you know, the villagers have hidden themselves and that's insulting and, and everything. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. they, they use that here. But they eventually discover the hiding place. Uh, then we get a, another twist, but it also fits in. So I think this is really clever, which is there are four bounty hunters who, you know, ambush them with guns to protect the villagers they just found. And what this is is a clever shortcut, because again, we have a 20 minute episode, right? And so mm. normally you have the whole thir first third of the film is go and find the heroes who are gonna save the village, right? Right. And here they've already got four of them. And then we have our crew is three people. So guess what? We now have seven uh, people who can help save the, the villagers. So I thought that was a pretty yeah. clever way to handle it. <laughs> Although the three new ones take a little persuading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not right away. And it turns out the villagers are being extorted by pirates. And, of course, this, I think, is the thing that everything we've watched follows, right? It's just totally central to the Seven Samurai story that, that the yeah. villagers are having their stuff taken and the, they're going to come back soon to get it, and the villagers are desperate. That's That's been in every story, I think. Yeah. No, that that could have been something they used the rankers for. Maybe it's mm. the rankers want to eat the crops or something. <laughs> but, but it works out well with the just actual pirates, too. So. Yeah. But as you said, the crew hasn't immediately agreed to join. Both, I think, Anakin and especially Ahsoka. I mean, she's always the moral person in these stories debate whether they can bother helping because Kenobi feels like they have better things to do. But also aside from that being kind of cold, he does have a point, which is he says, look, if we don't go back and report what's going on and, you know, do our stuff, then yeah, the separatists the, the medical station is destroyed and so yeah. forth. So then the separatists that were fighting, you know, General Grievous and stuff, they're, they may show up on this planet and that's going to make things even worse for these villagers, right? Now, it's a little bit yeah. of a stretch, but, you know, he's got a point. But it doesn't really matter because before they can decide, the pirates show up. And this is, you know, classic in the Seventh Samurai thing, of course, where the pirates show up and, and do their initial threatening stuff. Now, these guys are on what I'll call hover cycles, you know, obviously basically motorcycles that float. Yeah. And it turns out they are led by Hondo, and I I looked him up because I hadn't reached him. He is a popular character in the series, so he's a, you know he comes back many times. People like him a lot, and while he's a bad guy, um, as we'll kind of see in this, he also apparently has some moral complexity, and he's not completely bad. And sometimes he works with the Jedi, and sometimes he doesn't. Hmm. And I realized what when I was reading about this, what it made me think of was Han Solo, the the original, you know, mm. pre before Lucas went back and sanitized him. 
Han Solo, <laughs> because he was a rogue who would do illegal things and work with bad people, but also had sort of a heart of gold, right? So right. Um, you had that complexity there. Well, yeah, and we get a little bit of banter between Hondo and uh, Obi-Wan where, uh, you know, we, we learn that they know each other. And Hondo even says at one point something like, oh, and here I thought we were friends, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure this is not his first uh, appearance in the series, so... Uh, and he offers the bounty hunters twice what they're being paid to, you know, stop protecting the villagers. And then Kenobi sort of turns it around on him. He offers to pay Hondo twice the worst of the crops if he'll take the crew to the nearest space station. But Hondo is not interested in Republican credits. He says he can't pay his, you know, masters with Republican credits, so it's not useful to him. <laughs> Yeah, that's too bad. I'm I'm sure Hondo would have some resources who could convert the money if he really wanted to, but uh, I think he just gets a kick out of tormenting. And also, I think his feeling is he he can work this so that he can both get the crops and then you know benefit from taking them to the space station. So why oh, not? Yeah. Why not get paid twice if you can? <laughs> And uh, now they do another original plot point that the other movies we've watched have tended to skip, which is um, they just have a little sequence where, in this case, they're using a video monitor, and Kenobi is showing the different places in the village and where the attacks are going to come from, and they strategize how to deal with that. And I, I like that because, of course, in the original Seven Samurai, they put a lot of time into like walking around the village and you know, figuring out these things and how they're going to deal with it. And I just, I, I thought, even though this is very short. Uh, it was nice that they, you know, made a nod to that. Oh, yeah. And, of course, now we get the other thing that I think every one of these has had, the classic montage of training the villagers. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was a, did you notice this? There's a clever little twist here. So, remember in Seven Samurai, the villagers had these weapons that it turned out had been stolen from defeated samurai and it was really kind of a black stain right. on they the villagers the samurai armor and all that stuff yeah, yeah and it was a stain on them right well they kind of twisted around here right because they're all standing there like with their farmer equipment like these um staffs and stuff and they're like oh we don't have weapons and then anakin takes one of the staffs and shows how it can be used as a weapon so it, oh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a similar, it's not like they have a dark past, but it's just kind of funny how they managed to, you know, oh, they have weapons. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he he takes a staff and does a whole, you know, drum majorette routine with it, twirling it around right. and stuff. And and that, that just that seems to encourage the farmers a bit, just seeing him whip it around the right. way he does. And of course the, the, the villager who was very skeptical and saying, we don't have weapons or anything. Uh, but at the end he manages to use his staff to impale one of the bad guys. So <laughs> we get a <laughs> full turnaround also. And I, I think it may be mythical, but it might be true, which is it's supposed to be one of the ways that martial arts developed, right? Was farmers, mm. um, learning to use their, their farm implements. You oh, know, they the, probably weren't allowed to own actual right, right. weapons. Um, so that's supposed to be how you got some of the martial arts weapons and, and everything. Now, I don't know how true it is, but it is one of the myths of martial arts, and there's many myths about yeah. martial arts. <laughs> oh, certainly would make sense. Uh, and then, oh, we get another classic plot point. You know, a scout shows up, and they realize they're being watched and have to deal with it. Now, this is just one guy. Usually it's like three. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's actually a really cool fight. I don't even know how to describe it. 
There's there's this one one of the bounty hunters is this great big. It's uh, it's almost like one of those. I think it's called a coolie hat. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a great big disc on top of his head, like a like a walk almost you know the <laughs> right, big right. round pan but i think his name was embo if i remember right but he's he's like we don't get a lot of character development out of him but uh but he seems to be the super competent bounty hunter you know the the, the role that we've seen in other you know the other things we've watched some of them have the the guy who's like extra good and just kind of mm-hmm. oh right yeah yeah you're right. right he has he's that character right the one who he like goes off and gets the guns and all that in in seven samurai yeah yeah no it was a really cool fight and also th- there's another character i mean again it's only 20 minutes and you know and all this but they, they still do flesh out each of the characters to some degree so there's another bounty hunter who is this kind of metal shell. And then we find out that uh, it's actually this little, tiny, very insecure guy inside the metal shell. You know, it's really kind of oh, a yeah. mech. I, I had assumed this was like a robot bounty hunter, right. you know, like that IG-88 or you right, know, one of those right. guys. But but no, it's just a big old exoskeleton that this little tiny guy <laughs> wears. And, and he's kind of gets his comeuppance because early on he had – made fun of Ahsoka, who's kind of small, you know, and he called her, uh, uh, we're not counting you knee high or something to that effect, <laughs> right. you know, and, uh, and then later on she, she gets her turnaround, but she's gracious about it. She helps him out. Right. Know, and of course, Jedi, did, would. you know, he has his own little arc because when Ahsoka, you know, his suit gets screwed up and she sees who he is and he's all embarrassed and she's like, oh, it doesn't matter how, you know, it's not how tough you look. It's whatever, how tough you are. And, and of course, by the end, he gets thrown out of his suit, but uh, he still manages to take out one of the guys in his uh, normal small form. So, yeah. And I wanted to mention about the scout here. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't think up to this point anybody had actually died in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, this is, you know, an animated show, kind of yeah. seems targeted at the young audience. Uh, I wonder if anybody actually dies in this. And the scout, uh, when Embo does him in, uh, he does it with a good old fashioned neck snap. So oh, they're, yeah. I mean- <laughs> they're not messing around. Uh, yeah, well, if you look at my note here, this is pretty brutal <laughs> for a kid series because not yeah. only that, when they get so, you know, well, let me talk about a couple of points here. Um, so, you know, they take out the scout, but of course, then the scout doesn't show up. So Hondo knows that uh, the Jedi have decided to stay and work with them. And that's okay because he has a big tank, you know, <laughs> like what? Mm-hmm. Uh, speak quietly and bring a big tank. Um, <laughs> And now it turns out that, uh, and we didn't see this, but they turn it on now. So the, you know, they've worked with the villagers to put like a laser fence around the village. And this is another great callback to Seven Samurai, right? Because part of their whole strategy was to herd people individually in areas where the villagers could then kill them uh, once they were separated from the others. And they kind of used the fence as part of that strategy, right, to get Mm -hmm. people... uh, Although it does occur to me that may have been a pre-existing feature because they're farmers, so they might have some livestock that we just don't see. It's possible, but, uh, you know, I, th- I think the implication, because they've done the training and all that, would be that they built it, but it uh, could be either way. Yeah. Uh, but I did like the fact, and we do see in the actual fight, you know, like when people get separated, the villagers jump out and, 
and kill them and, uh, you know, that's directly out of the original. And I don't think we've really seen that in the other films. So again, I think they were mm-hmm. – they really wanted this uh, episode to be true to the original. Uh, and the other thing that made me put on this thing that's brutal is, okay, so when the – you know, at this point all the – you know, the bad guys and pirates have returned and, and Hondo and everything, and they're all – and the whole village is fighting and everything. Oh, my God. The guy we were talking about earlier who has the, the coolie hat, he jumps on the back of one of these guys' motorcycles, and then he, he steers it by – he breaks the guy's neck, and then he's turning the guy's head in the direction he wants the bike to go. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is, this is dark. Um <laughs> And and they don't have blood or anything, but oh, you know they sure mm. sure are willing to kill people. Oh yeah. But after they've taken out a bunch of the pirates, uh, they're stuck with Hondo's tank that's tearing everything up because it's got this, you know, really powerful uh, uh, cannon. Right. So they have to retreat, and then you know the, the Jedi go after Hondo, especially Anakin, and after a fight, he ends up hanging off a cliff. And he tells Anakin that if he if he helps him up from the edge of this cliff, he'll call off his men. So Anakin helps him, but guess what? Hondo was lying. <laughs> yeah, and Hondo has a little little mascot or assistant or yeah. pet or something. Oh, it's, it's right out. I of think a, it's the same species as that salacious crumb, Jabba yeah, the Hutt's yeah, little from, yeah, little definitely. you know long eared uh, goofy Muppet looking thing, just a little yep. pipsqueak. Yeah, and but he's been controlling the species. tank and everything. Yeah, and he, as as Anakin is helping Hondo up, it turns out that he's been in the tank getting the, you know, the cannon pointed at Anakin's head. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So he fires it. But, of course, you know, being a Jedi, he manages to jump out of the way. And, uh, yeah, and, and Anakin actually does a backflip off this tall cliff. You know, and lands on his feet on the ground below where, where he, he just pulled Hondo up to prevent him from from falling because Hondo couldn't have survived that fall. Right. And we do have a little convenience thing here. So this is where Hondo, uh, does, you know, he's lived, he's kind of victorious, but he decides it's time to leave because this effort is no longer profitable. <laughs> yeah. Plus all of his guys have already started retreating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so now the villagers get back to farming. They're no longer afraid. And uh, the bounty hunters now respect the Jedi and offer to take them to the space station. And it's the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the bounty hunters, uh, you, you get various glimpses throughout this. The bounty hunters, you know, like samurai, uh, they have their own little code of honor. You know, they've made a deal and they're not going to back yeah. out of it, even for twice the money. Going. Yeah. And uh, the lead bounty hunter is this woman with, I mean, she's kind of goth. She has these, you know, horns sticking out of her head. I, I think there's a particular species in Star Wars. Oh, that she yeah. Represents. They've, they've all got names. Right. They're all in the Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought she looked really good and, and was a good character. I mean, probably even more than we've represented in here. Like I say, even, again, it's just amazing in 20 minutes. Not only did they tell a story that was originally a three and a half hour story. In Seven Samurai, but they really give each character their moments, and they have their little things, and the anim- and, and the animation is good, and the fights are good. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, if the prequels could have been like this, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's really, it encourages me for watching the rest of this season, too, you know, because... Uh, uh, it, it is enjoyable. I liked it better the second time. I watched this one twice, actually. 
Um, because the first time I watched it, I was sort of, eh, it was okay. Hmm. I, I liked it. I liked it better the second time I watched it. And I, I, I still am going to have to get used to that theme music. But uh, <laughs> uh, all in all, I'm, I'm optimistic about watching it. It all comes down to those couple of notes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just uh, a hidebound old traditionalist, I guess. Well, it's obvious I do, but so with all that, do you consider it worth watching? Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I mean, I, I did notice, I think part of the reason that the first go around with this episode didn't hit me as hard as it might have is that, um, at this point we've watched like three dozen spinoffs of the seven <laughs> samurai and you know, that gets like exaggeration, you know, but, uh, um, I, I, th I think the story is, uh, I'm ready to take a little break from <laughs> seven samurai for now, but, uh, but yes, I did enjoy it. I think I'm going to enjoy the Clone Wars just as a whole, yeah. probably. No, it really does inspire me to go back. I'm going to start back with season one again and probably watch the same episodes again and try to. But uh, that's my little curse of uh, uh, trying to be completist. But uh, no, oh, I, yeah. I think it's really good. I like pretty much everything uh, about just the series that I've seen. And this episode is a really good one. And it's really, really faithful to Seven Samurai. And that's why I think it's a... It's a good closing one because probably more than anything else we've seen, it it just hits every single point, you know, in that 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, very, you know, aside from, as we mentioned, the initial assembly of all the samurai. But, uh, but yeah, aside from that, it's a very super condensed version of the uh, the original. And um, plus, it, it's a Star Wars thing, so that adds a certain element of fun to it. Yeah. Um, although, uh, you know. Battle Beyond the Stars had its own charms in that department. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's too bad they didn't have George Papard in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, well, next up will probably be some host choice, and then we're on to Doctor Who, and then we will eventually get back to Kurosawa. So <laughs> depending on uh, what it is you like, you can come in or out uh, whenever you want to. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we will see you next week. All right.